Over the last few weeks, um, we've been looking at at the story uh, of the birth of Christ. This is the story uh, that changes the world forever. It's the some people call it the greatest story ever told. Right? This is the time in history when everything changes. And what we've been looking at over these past few weeks is is these strange things that happen, either either something bizarre or ironic that happens or an interesting character who is inserted into the story that seems out of place or weird or different and we're maybe thrown off by it a little bit. But what we've seen time and time again through these stories is that this is actually what God intended, these strange actions or characters in the story are there because God wanted it that way. And this week is the last week of this particular series. And I want us to examine uh, something that we all have, but that we don't always recognize and look at, our expectations. This is a time of year when our expectations get exposed a little bit, don't they? You see it in kids as they sit around the Christmas tree and they open that first gift and it's socks. And they toss them aside, hoping that the real gifts are coming soon. Can I get an amen? You see the joy on their face when they get to open that present that they wanted or expected or maybe was even unexpected. And they're so excited and happy. We experience it ourselves when we have to engage those acting skills that we're not sure we have. When we open a present and we think, does this person even met me? (laughs) Have they ever listened to any of my preferences or desires? Or we're struck by someone's generosity and thoughtfulness when they surprise us with a gift that they give. But it's not just through gifts that our expectations are exposed, is it? We gather with coworkers and family. And sometimes we gather with those people and we are, we are excited about the future of the world. We have hope. There are good things to come. And other times we gather together with those people and those echo chambers that we've put around ourselves where everybody thinks and believes the, the same way we do are shattered. And we're all of a sudden up close and personal with someone else and we cannot believe the way they think or the way they view the world or the way they talk about other people. And our expectations are exposed about what we expect from others. We go through life with a set of expectations that others meet or challenge, or maybe they completely miss. And it made me wonder, what do we expect from God? What did we really expect from God when we gathered together for the Christmas Eve service on Friday evening? What do we expect from God when we came this morning? And maybe more importantly, what do we expect from God when we leave this place? What do we expect God to do in our families or in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our city, and our world? 
Does God tend to meet our expectations? Or have we gotten to the place where we don't expect much of God anymore? The first few sentences of this passage that we read this morning are unexpected. For some, would have been mind-blowing and even scandalous. But because we're so familiar with it, sometimes we just go right past it without thinking about the strange words, letting them challenge us. See, in Matthew chapter 1, he tells us that the story he's about to tell is about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah who's going to be born. And in chapter 2, he begins by telling us that he's born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And Matthew immediately sets us up with a contrast of two kings. One is the reigning king seated in the central power of Israel. The other, born in Bethlehem, the least of the ruling cities. Matthew sets us up right away to have all of our expectations challenged. This is not going to be the story of a king come to deliver his people with the power and the might that they might have expected. And I would caution us as modern readers, familiar with the whole story, to not just gloss over this. Sometimes we look at the Israelites specifically in the story and we kind of pat them on the head and give them a southern awe, bless their hearts. They're going to be so surprised when they see Jesus isn't who they expected him to be. Luckily, with the knowledge of history, we get to not be caught off guard by the story of Jesus. I would ask us to enter the story with your expectations on display about how you think God operates in the world. Let Matthew challenge you and what you might be expecting from this Messiah. Because the story will challenge us if we let it. See, often when we read a narrative, we kind of put ourselves in the story with one of the characters, don't we? But here's what we often do. I do it. I think you probably do it. We tend to identify with Jesus. Or, if I'm really humble, one of the disciples or one of those people who had great faith or one of those people who at least recognized who Jesus was. Can I get an amen? And as I look across this room, this is a group of people who know God, believe God, you trust God, you have come to worship, you want to be transformed by God, you want to take God into the world. I believe that of you. But can I ask something difficult of us for just a few minutes this morning? Would we be willing to put ourselves in the place of the people of Jerusalem? We're not going to put ourselves around the manger. We're not going to put ourselves with the wise men just yet. Can we put ourselves in the seat of the people of Jerusalem? And let Matthew challenge us 
with what he has to say. After Matthew sets up these two kings and the ways they're going to live out their role as kings, we're introduced to some wise men from the east. Magi, astrologers, soothsayers, not real sure. And I'll be honest, over the years, I've preached a lot of sermons, preached a lot of Christmases. I tend to avoid this passage. As a matter of fact, when we were handing out sermons in our meeting for this sermon series and I saw I got this passage, I groaned a little. And can I tip my hand a little bit as to why? I like to be able to explain things. I like to know what I'm talking about. And to be honest, I don't know much about these wise men. We don't know exactly where they come from or why. We don't know what their deal is. And I like to be able to tell you that. And as I searched my own heart, I think I realized they make me uncomfortable because they remind me that I don't get to control the information. They remind me that sometimes God reveals himself to people I don't expect. These men come rolling into Jerusalem for reasons that may even be uncomfortable for us. They understand that the king of the Jews has been born and they want to worship him. But to be honest, we don't really know how they knew this king had been born. Other than that, they have read it in the stars. Now hang on. We've all got Christmas cards with the great big bright star up above the manger, right? We don't think much about that, do we? Let that sit with you for a second. These people come from the east, rolling into Jerusalem, the center of where Yahweh is supposed to dwell. And they say the Messiah has been born. They have information that no one in Jerusalem seems to have. And they say, you know how we know this? We saw it in the stars. Let me reframe it for you. Can you imagine if Pastor Steve came out here one Sunday morning and he said, friends, we've got something we need to respond to. I had some visitors this week from a foreign land and they said we need to do this thing because they saw it in the stars. We'd be having some special meetings. We'd be wondering if Steve had lost his mind. But this is what happens in this story. We don't know why they want to worship this new king, but here they are. Right smack dab in the center of where any power Israel has resides, ready to worship this new king. So let that discomfort of this detail sit with you while we hear Matthew tell the rest of the story. 
They show up in Jerusalem and they head straight to the palace, which makes sense because where else would a king be? And they let the current king know that they are here to worship his replacement. And as we might expect, Herod, who likes being in power and is willing to kill anyone who gets in the way of his power, is greatly disturbed by this declaration. But Matthew adds a line here that I don't want us to miss. Herod was deeply disturbed, as was everyone in Jerusalem. You see, I expect Herod to be disturbed. But it struck me that this news seemed to be disturbing news to all the people of Jerusalem. These wise men have come to a place where people know the scriptures about the promised Messiah. But they've also maybe come to, expect, come to accept the way things are. They have waited for such a long time, and to be honest, little has really changed. Some have grown comfortable, and others probably deep down just don't really expect anything to change. And now they have news of a Messiah, a deliverer, a usurper, who, if this news is true, might just destroy the normalcy that they found. A small detail in the story made me wonder if those who had found a comfortable way of life with the way things are and then were made uncomfortable with what God actually wanted to do. It made me wonder if Herod and those in Jerusalem actually expected too little from God. See, they weren't really free. They weren't really in control of their own lives. They didn't have any real power or authority. But because they had found a way of living a normal and maybe even comfortable life, freedom by the hands of a Messiah was deeply disturbing to them. They start to question if they really want God to take this kind of action. And it made me ask, when was the last time God disturbed my way of being in the world? When was the last time God disturbed yours? When was the last time God was revealed and it shook up your status quo? When has he ever completely upended your expectations? You see, Herod in Jerusalem, as disturbed as they were, they knew that the birth of the Messiah would change everything. Things would never be the same. Everything would be turned upside down because encounters with God tend to do that. This is one of the life-changing messages of Christmas that I wonder if we sometimes downplay. How do we respond to these encounters with God? And there are a number of ways we might. Herod and the religious leaders set, up, set a plan in motion to work actively work against the revelation of God. And I think that sometimes maybe we do this too. 
We work against fairness and prosperity for the poor, propping up ideals of hard work and merit that are often hindered by the systems around us. We fight against hospitality and acceptance of the stranger or the foreigner by villainizing those we want to exclude. We fight against justice for those who are imprisoned by painting a narrative that makes those people 100% bad and a threat to those we care about. And like Herod, sometimes we use scripture to reinforce these actions, even when we know it is not the way of the God of justice. Other times we work against these disturbing revelations of God by assuming that all of our experiences or happiness are the way of Christ. We let individual actualization become the ultimate lens through which we interpret all scripture. And we ignore the reframing of our lives through an encounter with the living word. In short, God starts to look a lot like us. We assume that the way of God is only defined by what makes us happy in the moment or leads to our comfort. But this isn't necessarily the way of a people who follow a self-giving, crucified Lord. And sometimes, and maybe this is the most common way we encounter the Messiah, is with indifference. We hear of the birth of the Messiah and we feel good feelings. We join together in song we hope for peace, and we make plan, plans for a better year for ourselves. The birth of God comes and goes, and nothing happens. We don't expect God to make all things new or right. And the encounter with God on a silent night just turns into a quiet, comfortable life. Can we let the scriptures make us uncomfortable? Can we look at Christmas differently? Can we approach this as the world-shaking event it changes the way we live our lives if we engage it? Here's another challenging part of the story, and I had to chuckle when I read it. God has revealed the birth of this Messiah to these three, or not, we don't know how many, to these wise men, see, see, I don't know. <laughs> he reveals it to these wise men from the East. And it revealed enough for them to show up in the wrong place. They arrive in Jerusalem. They don't seem to be able to get all the way to the Messiah without the revelation of Scripture. But pay attention to how that happens. Herod calls the religious leaders together and they open or unroll the scripture. They're familiar enough with the prophecies to go to the writings of the prophet Micah and determine that the Messiah is probably going to be born in Bethlehem. But this is where they leave it. They approach the scripture, mine it for exactly the detail they need to accomplish their own plans, and then they close it again. They don't bother to notice that Micah is talking about a new type of king, a shepherd king, 
who will comfort the weary, the tired, and the oppressed and bring fulfillment, bring to fulfillment the promises of God to be a blessing to all the nations. They miss that the shepherd will lead not with the strength of men, but with the Lord's strength. Micah says, the people of the earth, I found this fascinating, the people of the earth will be undisturbed. Matthew didn't do that on accident, I don't think. The people of Jerusalem are disturbed. This shepherd king is going to lead in a way that leaves people undisturbed and will be a source of peace or shalom. So in an effort to support their own agenda, these people in Jerusalem read the scriptures in a way that keeps them from seeing what God really wants to do for them and maybe even through them. And I wonder if sometimes we open the text just to reinforce what we already think or what we want to be true. Because then we're shown how these pagan men respond to the scripture. They hear it. And then they go. They obey. They end up in Bethlehem. And they lay everything that they have, everything that they've brought at the feet of the Messiah. And they go back to where they came from, changed, witnesses to a new kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. While the people of Jerusalem are disturbed, these pagan worshipers are filled with joy. While the religious leaders are manipulating the written word for their own purposes, these pagan wise men have an encounter with the living word. It changes their lives forever. What are you expecting from God? Does it ever disturb you, God's extravagant grace that reveals the presence of God on earth to outsiders, to pagans, to the unchosen? Are you expecting God to upend the way things are? Are you expecting a new way of shalom that's filled with God's gracious justice? Or do you continue to expect little from God? As people of Jerusalem, if we honestly take our seat with the people of Jerusalem, what do we do? when we're faced with the truth of this story. We say this a lot, but I wonder if we mean it. Do we believe that God is actually already at work in those people who are outside of this place?
Are we willing to humble ourselves and take a posture of listening, asking God to help us hear with new ears? We want to listen to scripture in new and life-changing ways while also listening to the unexpected around us who may have revelation from God that with scriptures will change the way we engage the world. Are we willing to take that type of posture of humility says, God, you are at work long before I get there. You may be speaking to people that are surprising to me. And while those of us who identify with the people of Jerusalem sit with that for a second, can I talk to some other people who might be here? There are probably some here who, or online who might think that God isn't for you. That you don't fit in the box. That modern Christianity wants to put you in. Can you let God change your expectations? Can I ask you to listen to the story of these, of these magi? God's grace is for you. God is reaching out to you. You can hear him now. You can experience him now. You may even receive good news for those of us who currently hold the keys to the kingdom. Don't assume that God has nothing for you. Watch and listen. God may be revealing himself to you even when God's people aren't. The story is a story of God's love for you even if you feel far from God. Please don't let unmet expectations of your past or doubt of the presence of God in your life keep you from having a life-changing encounter with the shepherd king that Micah talks about. God is better, more gracious, more loving, more powerful than you can possibly think or imagine. So please look for God and let God reveal himself to you.